Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Chris Riemann of the Cincinnati Eye Institute and the University of Cincinnati. Welcome to Retina Synthesis, Chris. Carmen, thanks so much for the opportunity to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. And today we're going to talk about some exciting work that you've been doing uh, with colleagues in the area of stem cell therapy of geographic atrophy. Um, can you give us an overview of your work in this area? So I'm, an, I'm one of the investigators and I was uh, uh, given the, the, the privilege of reading out our data set from, uh, at the last Retina Society meeting and the previous ARVO and AAO meetings. Um, and uh, and, and it's, a, it's a really exciting project where, um, where we're taking human embryonic stem cell derived differentiated cells, differentiated with cyclic GMP um, to, to, uh, to, to look and act and biochemically uh, smell like uh, RPE cells. And we're uh, taking a slurry of those cells and injecting them into the subretinal space um, in patients with geographic atrophy. And uh, it, this is all phase one work and it's super exciting. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the data is, is th this is the first data readout where we've had reasonable follow-up almost a year on the, uh, on, on the, uh, on, on the later patients that were done, 12 later patients, the 12 later cohort four patients that were done in, uh, that had good vision and therefore potentially good, uh, and more to gain from a treatment that works. So the thought is, is that these embryonically derived RPE cells will rescue uh, the failing photoreceptors? Is that the idea? So, the, we, you know, it's, we don't know exactly how these work. Um, the, the thought is that they'll rescue failing photoreceptors, that they'll potentially replace failing retinal pigment epithelial cells. Maybe they have trophic effects. Maybe they directly interface with, with photoreceptor mm -hmm. outer segments and, and, and do the photoreceptor uh, 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 outer segment exchange, biochemical exchange. Um, we don't know how they work. Uh, we, th we thought that it would be a good idea to try it and it appears that they're working. Can you tell us a little bit about the surgical techniques that you employed? So um, the, uh, the, the study so far has studied 24 patients. The first three cohorts uh, were four patients each, so a total of 12 patients um, that had poor vision. Um, and that, those were basically just uh, toxicity studies. But the second, the, the fourth cohort of 12 patients were patients that had reasonable vision, uh, better vision, had potentially had something to gain. And those 12 patients, uh, five of them were operated with uh, the standard vitrectomy retinotomy approach, just like you would give a gene therapy. Um, um, and, uh, and, and seven patients were operated with the orbit subretinal delivery system. That's a, that's a tech that was developed by uh, J&J Janssen for their umbilical stem cell therapy project many years ago. Um, the, their cells, the, the, the PALU core cell, um, didn't, didn't meet criteria. So they bailed on the cells, but they kept the, the surgical project alive and spun it out as, as a company called Orbit. And then Orbit bought it 
Uh, and then Orbit was bought by Gyroscope, who now owns that technology. And that's a suprachoroidal approach where we make a sclerotomy, we inject this, we, we place this lubricious cannula through the sclerotomy in, in, into, the, into the suprachoroidal space, advance it to, uh, to the target area in the macula. And then there's a little needle that gets driven, a little nitinol needle that gets driven out through the choroid um, and through the Brooks membrane into the subretinal space. And it's exciting because it allows us to deliver a subretinal bleb um, without doing a vitrectomy and without making a retinotomy. And, uh, and, and that has all sorts of important implications for, um, for dosing accuracy, dosing precision. Um, and, and we're excited about it. We're excited about it on, on, on multiple levels. So I have relationships with Lineage, the company that makes the, the cell therapy that we're talking about. I also have a relationship with Gyroscope. And in fact, my name's on the patent of, of, of the Orbit SDS. So that's how I came to be involved with the Lineage project as one of the Orbit SDS surgeons. Um, and you know, when you get involved in a project, um, you, know, you, you form more relationships and it's exciting. And so now I have a relationship with both Gyroscope and Lineage and I'm ex excited about them both. So do you think that the, um, that the Orbit approach is going to be the preferred approach if this moves on? So I think the Orbit approach has all sorts of advantages, um, in all, um, but they're all theoretical and they really need to still be defined. So if you look at the, uh, if you look at kind of a head-to-head um, comparison of the vitrectomy-operated lineage guys and the orbit-operated lineage eyes, um, the vitrectomy retinotomy-operated lineage eyes, uh, of fif uh, 15 out of 17 or 13 out of 15, an overwhelming majority of them got macular puckers. And three of those were so severe that they needed to be operated. Why would that be? And, and none of the orbit-operated eyes got macular puckers. Um, two of the vitrectomy-operated eyes uh, had retinal detachments postoperatively. Um, and this is something that we've seen in the past with cell therapies. And you know, if you, if you make a retinotomy and inject something into the retina, we've all injected subretinal TPA. And, and we've all seen that when the, when the, when the cannula comes out, that, uh, that, that oftentimes blood and TPA will come refluxing, refluxing back out of the retinotomy into the vitreous cavity. And if you let in, uh, you know, a cell therapy line reflux into the vitreous cavity, somehow it's not surprising, at least not to me, that you might see, um, that you might see these, these problems with both epiretinal membranes and retinal detachments. So in that case, we've got advantage orbit subretinal delivery system, but the orbit subretinal delivery system eyes, um, the seven eyes that were operated, three of them got choroidal neovascular membranes as opposed to one out of the 15, uh, uh, um, uh, one, only one of the, uh, one of the vitrectomy eyes include, and, and remember all the cohort, the 12 cohort four eyes, plus the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the 12 cohort one through three eyes, plus five of the cohort four eyes were operated with vitrectomy. So we, um, and so those, those 17 eyes, only one got a choroidal neovascular membrane. So placing a needle into the suprachoroidal, a, a cannula into the suprachoroidal space 
driving that cannula into the, mag, in, into the supercoroidal macular space and then pushing a needle through the choroid to create your bleb, somehow it's not surprising that you get choroidal neovascular membranes there. So that's, in that case, that's kind of the downside of the orbit subretinal delivery system. What we're seeing um, in our data set is that irrespective of which approach you use, you seem to be able to get visual acuity results and you're able to operate or, or treat whatever the complications are. So the three macular puckers that occurred that were visually significant and were so tractional that they, need, that were, they had a big visual loss, they were operated and the vision recovered. The choroidal neovascular membranes that occurred, they were treated with anti-VEGFs and they're responding well to anti-VEGF. I've got a lady, she's got a 22 letter gain, right? Um, even though she's gotten, I think five anti-VEGF shots at this point um, for choroidal neovascular membrane, um, right at the edge, close to, but not quite at the, at the puncture site. Um, so, you know, it, it's phase one. We really don't know how it's gonna pan out. I think that there are viable paths forward um, with this technology with the vitrectomy retinotomy approach, there are, there are some things that I think we can do um, in general to be more precise about uh, subretinal drip bleb delivery with the vitrectomy retinotomy approach. And then, and then so I think there's a viable path forward with that surgery. I also think there's a viable path forward with the orbit subretinal delivery system. And we'll see what the data shows and how, how companies collaborate um, and, and, and how those sorts of decisions get made. Frankly, it's above my pay grade uh, as, a, uh, as an investigator. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about case selection? Did you uh, have eyes that had the geographic atrophy with foveal involvement, extrafoveal involvement, juxtafoveal involvement? Yes, 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 and yes. Um, uh, you know, this is phase one, so they, they needed to have at least 20, uh, 2060 vision. Mm -hmm. I forget the letter score. So many of these guys had sub, uh, had juxtafoveal and, and several had subfoveal involvement early on. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and one of the interesting things is that we seem to see the better visual signals in patients where number one, we got the cells closer to the center of the fovea. And number two, in patients that had less um, visual loss from the geographic atrophy. So mm -hmm. in, in end stage eyes where, where, you know, where you've got huge geographic atrophy and, and, and the macula is all white, you know, um, e even when the cells were under the fovea, um, you know, there's probably irreversible, you know, there's almost certainly irreversible cell death and, and putting some cells in uh, uh, photoreceptor death and putting the, putting this cell therapy there is not enough to rescue. But, um, but in less affected eyes, eyes with juxtafoveal lesions, eyes with small subfoveal lesions, that's where we saw the gains. And in eyes where we got good macular coverage, so the bleb covered uh, uh, either the entire or a big chunk of the macula. Mm -hmm. um, that's where we saw the most gains. So where, where, where was the target site for uh, the creating the bleb? Kind of, well, so early on it was um, kind of juxta macular. 
oh, not quite as far out as as uh, some of the gene as as some of the gene therapy uh, uh, trials are. So some of the gene therapies call for a submacular bleb. Some of the gene therapies, especially for for common diseases, for wet AMD and for and for dry AMD, the target is outside the arcades. You know, here early on they were targeting uh, um, kind of splitting the arcade. And then as we learned from where the blebs landed and, and what the vision looked like, we seemed to get a story of, hey, let's get it under the phobia. And if we get it under the phobia um, and, and those blebs, they tended to do better. So later on in cohort four, um, the, the investigators were instructed, look, try to, try to be more aggressive with getting the bleb centrally mm -hmm. to cover the macula or at least a big chunk of the macula. So can you tell us a little bit about the visual results in cohort four? So um, in cohort four, we saw an average of uh, 10 letter gains uh, compared, to, uh, compared to baseline. 75% um, of cohort four patients were better or equal to what they were at baseline. And that was in the, and that was in contradistinction to the untreated fellow eyes that were in um, <clears throat> the untreated fellow eyes were about uh, two thirds of them were, uh, were better or worse, right? So the, the untreated fellow eyes were, I'm sorry, were, were stable or worse. The untreated fellow eyes were getting worse or staying the same. The treated, uh, the, 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 the treated, the lineage uh, treated eyes were, uh, were getting better or staying the same. How far out did you follow these eyes? So um, we're, our, our, we're at about an, a mean of 10 months right now. Mm -hmm. so a lot of them, and some of them are out, some of the cohort four eyes are out past two years, but uh, we're, uh, the shortest follow-up I think is six months. So, and, and, and that's where we're starting to see the visual gains. So the visual gains are at the, at the uh, six, uh, 10 and a half and 12 month time points. Mm -hmm. And it's statistically significant and visually important. Mm -hmm. with a, in a phase one trial, with, in a phase one trial with a, with a small N by definition. What about OCT findings? What, uh, what happened to the OCTs in these eyes? So that, 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 that's, that's the thing that is really exciting. So whenever, you, whenever I see phase one trials, Garmin, I, uh, that, that have promising data, you know, all of these, in a phase one trial, all of the patients, it's open label. Everybody knows that they're getting the drug. Everybody had, all the patients, all the investigators, everybody's got buy-in. Everybody really wants the drug to work. So is there any evidence that, you know, what's the evidence that this is not just wishful thinking and, and, and hopeful optimism on the part of brave phase one patients that made a decision that they want to be proud of um, and, uh, and, and their investigators? So the answer is we're starting to see, um, and we've got four different sites, including Doheny, that are looking at these, uh, that, that are look independently looking at these OCTs on a very, very granular level. And all independently are saying, yeah, we're getting, we're, we're seeing what looks like RPE being restored. Um, we're seeing what looks like uh, uh, ISOS junction and ELM being restored. 
Uh, we're seeing uh, outer, uh, outer plexiform, outer nuclear layer. Uh, we're seeing outer retinal layers being restored at the, uh, in the areas where the cells were, 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 were delivered. So we're seeing structure and we're measuring function. Um, and uh, so that's why we're so optimistic and excited. Guardedly so, because yes, it's phase one data and it still has to you know, make it through a, a randomized, a proper randomized phase two trial. But uh, you know, my patients are, I had one of my patients called me crying about three months post-op. And, uh, and, and oh, yeah, you know, this patient's calling, she's crying. And, and you know, whenever a phase one patient calls and they're crying, you know, my heart's in my throat. It's like, oh my gosh, what did I do to this poor patient? Um, and then she called and then she says, doc, I just want you to know I can see, right? And, and she wasn't making it up, it's real. Mm. It, was, it was really exciting, really impressive. What's the next step? So I, um, so I can't speak for the company. Um, um, I'm just an investigator, but uh, you know, I think I think the company is very excited to 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 move into phase phase two trials. How many RPE cells are you injecting into the subretinal space? Um, I'd have to look that up off the top of my head. I don't know what the what what the E is but I can tell that I can look did, it up for Well, did you try, did they try various doses of the RPE cells? They did off the top of my head. I don't know what those are. Mm -hmm. It is, it is, uh, it is 50 to 200,000 cells. Mm -hmm. That's the range. Um, and we're about 200,000 cells and uh, 200,000 cells. It's 200,000 cells and it's uh, yeah, 200,000 cells. Do the cells need to be, um, handled specially? Is it, uh, do they have to have special transport conditions from, so, from California so, to you? So early on, the answer was yes. There was this big to-do about, uh, about that special stuff. Now we've got, the, uh, and that's one of the interesting thing in about halfway through cohort four, we switched over to their new thaw and inject formulation. You freeze them, they put them in a vial, you thaw it out and inject them. So yes, it needs to be kept cold, but um, but there's it, it, it's not a uh, you know some of these cell therapies you have bioreactors that have to be shipped and it's this big to do. These are uh, frozen cells in a vial. You thaw them out and inject them. And 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 some of the visual acuity um, winners in in cohort four um, were with the thaw and inject formulation. So they've got that down. That simplifies it. Well, Chris, this is really exciting, and I'm so happy that you were able to share it with us. And uh, let's hope this works. Let's hope it works. From from your lips to whoever whoever's listening ear, whoever is listening's ears. Let's hope it works. That's exactly okay, great. Thanks for joining us on Retina Synthesis. Thanks for the opportunity. Great, great to see you.